Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, uh, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epidose number 15 of the Pharmacy Fika. As always, in a Fika, we we like to start with some snacks and some beverages. We have a guest today, Timothy Angst, who is from MCP Worcester. And we'll come back to why we invited Timothy to be here. But if you know a little bit about Timothy's background, he's really into technology and how it, it interfaces with pharmacy practice and pharmacy education. So you could probably guess what our topic is going to be about today. But nonetheless, I wanted to start with Tim, since he's our guest, to see what snack and beverage he might have brought this morning to our fika black coffee just like my soul (laughs) (laughs) i start with coffee and i eat dinner that's about my meals of the day unfortunately what's turned into is i have two small kids and i end up eating their crap and then that just turns into like why can't i lose weight i'm eating all their mac and cheese i gotta i gotta stop that (laughs) (laughs) today i actually forgot my snack i was going to bring another one of those chocolate keto snaps and i forgot and i don't have any sparkling water so we're straight out of the water fountain water is what we're going with today oh man i'm so disappointed because i brought almonds today now portion control is not one of my strong suits so i have like i think maybe 20 of them here, Jeff. So I know that's overdoing it, but I I brought almonds and some coffee. So that's what I have with me today. I have some tea, but it is tea made with crystals instead of tea leaves. I had not experienced this before. So I have an Earl Grey with tea crystals and some dark chocolate. Verdict on the the crystals tea? Are you liking it or? uh... Well, it's super convenient because you don't have to steep it. You don't have to have a bag, and you can do it hot or cold. You just dump it in, shake it up, away you go. Well, guys, I do have some ginger tea, but I just could not think of what would be the best snack today. So what I did is I went out and asked ChatGPT what the best snack to eat during a fika would be, and they said something sweet like a cinnamon bun, a cookie, a piece of cake, or other traditional fika snacks which might include crisp bread with cheese or jam. And so I have an apple. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today, if you haven't guessed already, because Tina kind of alluded to this, we are going to be talking about artificial intelligence. There's been a lot of chatter about artificial intelligence, particularly its capabilities for writing and communicating. AI has been around for quite some time now and is capable of doing all sorts of things. But I think the evolution of the technology has gotten to a point where it's feeling a little scary to people. And for me, it made me think about John Henry. I don't know if you recall John Henry back at the industrial age, and he basically could chisel away at rock. 
he was very strong, but he was trying to beat a machine that was doing it. And eventually John Henry worked himself to death. He did beat the machine, but he died doing so. And I feel like that's the way AI is going to be for us. That we're going to beat the machine, but we're going to die doing so. (laughs) But that's the angst I think a lot of us feel is like we are being replaced. Our intellect is being replaced. Now, of course, we've learned to live with industrialization and machines doing hard labor. And this is getting to a point where machines can do hard intellectual stuff for us. And replace some of the things that we do. Hopefully, it's not going to replace us entirely because, well, we'll learn to do new things, right? That's what we're here to talk about. So the week right before we left on holiday break, my curiosity got the best of me. And I decided, okay, it's time I learn a little bit more about AI. And in doing so, I I got sucked into the rabbit hole and got way down deep into it, using it. I can use it to write a Pulse's article, and then the ideas are starting to churn. And then obviously all of the, the media comes out about all of the things that are going on and the concerns and the angst and how ChatGPT passed portions of the bar exam and the USMLE and Wharton exam final. And we have the back and forth of the cheating angst. And then you have the switch to the other side of like, no, this is not what we should be concerned about cheating. We should be concerned about using it and optimizing it as the the hand ticks back and forth between this is great and this is horrible. And so I reached out to Tim about collaborating on a, on a paper and he and Daniel Malcolm and I churned one out really fast, but spent a lot of time and a lot of thought. And we still didn't cover probably 75% of what we'd have liked to, but there's so much to talk about. So many questions. Uh, Tim is a great person to bring on here because he's done so much with the digital health. So I look at AI from, like this is exciting kind of stuff and the things that we can do and and learn from and how we how we change. So just kind of starting off, how have any of you used it for academic purposes or see yourself using it kind of going forward? Maybe Tim, since you're a guest, we'll let you go first. I mean, yeah, I've been using it a lot. I'm one of those people who keep the tab open all all day long. Whereas in the past, I would just plot along and just be like, uh, let me just write random stuff and then piece it together. I just put a prompt in. You know, I do a lot of presentations. What do people want for a CE, right? They want the objectives. They want a session description. They want titles. So I just say ChatGPT. My prompt is basically create a session title, this many words, create three learning objectives using these actions and give me four variants and then create five possible session titles and just spits it out. So whereas I would have spent maybe an hour doing that in the past, I can do it now like five, 10 minutes. I have turned towards it to just be my prompt generator. And if it gives, gives me something I like, I'll run with it just as needed. If it gives me something that I don't like, I just go back to and just throw more prompts at it or I just get fed up and do it myself. But it's definitely has been a good tool for a lot of the stuff that I do on a daily basis, whether it's even emails, I've tried it for making letters or recommendations. I won't lie, like some of us ain't doing the ASHP recommendation. It asks for so many words, but I can feed in a quick file about a student. They did this with me and say, write this many words, emphasize these key points, and give me something, and it will. And I'm just like, copy paste, there it goes. 
So I'll admit, I used it to write a love letter to my wife. Not for <laughs> Valentine's Day, <laughs> but this was back in, in December when I first discovered the technology. And I said, I just don't know how good this is. So write a love letter to my wife, Cena, and here's some attributes about her I would like to emphasize. And it actually did a pretty good job. I sent it to her, and I did disclose. I said, <laughs> I, I wrote this with AI. I can't believe this tool. But as love letters go, it was pretty darn good. (laughs) That's a great example. I found myself using it recently when I was, after I was reading a book and I I normally sit down and make some notes. And of course you'd start with the title and you'd start with the outline of the book. And I'm like, why am I sitting here typing this up and trying to hold my book open and get all of the structure of the book? I can just ask ChatGPT to do it for me. So generate a summary, generate an outline for me. And then I'd go in and say, give me more on point number two. And and it just flushed it all out. And pretty soon I had some pretty, pretty good basic notes that I could go in and put in examples and stuff from my own experience to enhance it. But it saved me a whole lot of time of just typing up stuff and, and handwriting things. Yeah, I've been in a deep rabbit hole of just trying lots of different things to see what it comes up with, really just exploring how it could help improve work. And so one of the things I did, I was working with about four or five people on a paper, and we always write the abstract last. We did have somebody who was writing the abstract, but in the background, I asked AI to write that abstract for us. And it was tight. It was, it met the specs. I mean, it was better than I think what one person wrote, we would have all wordsmithed. And I sort of thought about it as how can I use this tool to enhance or improve? Not necessarily always generate from start, but just like my very first statistics class, we had to hand write all our calculations for like a chi-square. It like took a page to write out all the equation. And of course, I would never do that to anybody today. I would make sure that my students know how to interpret results. I would make sure they know what elements to include. But using statistical software absolutely accelerates, enhances, or amplifies. So I've really been looking for those opportunities for how it can, like many other tools that we use, enhance, accelerate, or amplify what what I'm trying to do. So I've used it in... A lot of different ways. And it started with me using it to write exam questions. I I needed a few new exam questions and I was just struggling. Like I always struggle with exam questions. And then it's like, oh, maybe, maybe it can do this. And I probably wrote four or five exam questions that were as good or better than I could have written in five minutes. That would have taken me an hour to do. And I had to edit them a little bit, but that still worked. Also used it to create some problem-based learning cases that we use during class for discussion. Maybe one of the more interesting things to me is I was actually thinking, would would AI be a good pharmacy elective course? This is something AI in healthcare. And I was like, yeah, it probably would. And it's very interesting to me, but like, I don't have time to do all of this. And then I wonder if it would write me a syllabus. And so I put some parameters in. AI and pharmacy and healthcare, two credit hours that would run from August to December. It wrote a syllabus. It gave me the the objectives of the course, a weekly outline of the 15 weeks. It put things down like assessments for an exam one, exam two, and a final. 
And so I laid it all out there really quickly. And then I was like, okay, well, this is the good overview, but you know, all of those different topics, I'd have to develop the structure of each class, a lesson plan. So I said, well, week seven, create me a lesson plan for week seven to our class. And it took that topic and broke it down into like 10 minutes on this, 15 minutes on this, 20 minutes on this, so on and so forth. So that was an incredibly quick thing. Now, obviously, would have to edit, but it would save a tremendous amount of time. So obviously, one of the questions that's going to arise from all these uses, and these are, I think, all potential uses that are helpful to us in our work, but I will point to Kristen's example of how she took notes from a book, reading the book, and using AI, it summarized it for her. From a learning process standpoint, is that efficiency bypassing what human beings need, which is to elaborate things in their own words in their own way, and time. Learning takes time. You can't just bypass it just because some machine spits it out for you. Does that circumvent that? And therefore, our intellect is is waning from this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've gotten so accustomed now from grammar software and spelling software that my ability is diminishing over time. I know it is because I'm relying on a machine to 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 do it. And so are we actually in some ways diminishing our own capabilities by not having the struggle of doing the work ourselves? I I wonder what your thoughts are on that. And I think that's one of the big concerns that people across education have, right? Is it's going to replace thinking and struggle. And if you remove the struggle, you remove portions of the thinking just like using a calculator because of like my daughter and her generation, the calculators have been throughout that you throw out numbers of just simple addition, subtraction, dividing. I can do it in my head way better than them right now. Is that a skill that I need? I mean, it probably helps me some. Yeah. Maybe other things, a certain skill may no longer be necessary. I do think this is really where it gets interesting of how, how far do we go in using it as a tool? Especially the creative stuff. You could make the argument when I use it to check my grammar and my spelling, I'm still generating, I'm still struggling to put down the words in the first place, and it's assisting me afterwards. And I suppose you could say the prompt that you put in is what you carefully need to craft in order for these AI tools to produce something of worth to you in your work. And so that initial prompt needs to be thought through pretty carefully to get you a good output. But still, there's so much of it that is generating things that we would normally generate from our own intellect, from our own creativity. I know a lot of artists are very concerned about it because you can generate some art that is very appealing to people. And in somebody else's style, by the way, this is why artists are very concerned about it. It's like they've co-opted my style and created things that could have been done by me, but it isn't. (laughs) And so what are the limits on this? Yeah, Yeah. and I'll say this. I think one of the fascinating things with ChatGPT and AI is the end user, the human, comes into play at the beginning and the end. So the beginning is how to ask a question and one knowing what the right question is to ask 
and how to ask it in a way to get the information that you need. And so anybody who's played around with chat GPT enough knows that the wording of how you ask the question dictates the quality of the response. But then AI does all the middle work, which is the struggle. But then it comes back to the human of vetting that information to say, is this right? Is this what I want? Is this the best thing? I'm just so excited to be talking about this and educationally that I'm fascinated with what everybody else has to say. I I think that idea, though, back to that statistics example, is especially earlier versions of statistical software would let you put in variables that, that were not appropriate for that type of test. And what you got out of it might have looked like a result, but it was not. Now, I think the software continues to improve so that you're almost prompted that what you're asking it to do, compare these two variables, these are not the right kind of variables, the right number of variables, etc. And so it's true. I, I learned to read via phonics. So my spelling wasn't my strongest suit anyway, because I learned to sound things out. Um, my brother, two years older, learned whole word where you memorize the word. His spelling was better, but his reading wasn't as good as mine. Even without technology, we've been using techniques that manipulate the way we learn and approach learning for a long time. And now I was responding to a colleague on Twitter the other day that said, what's the one word you just wait for spell check? You don't even worry about knowing how to spell it anymore. And for me, that word is bureaucracy, which is funny because I talk a lot about bureaucracy. (laughs) But I'm just like, I've tried to stick it in my head. It just doesn't do it. There will be a red squiggly line underneath it. I can fix it. By giving up that struggle on bureaucracy, am I allowing my brain to struggle on something that might actually be more meaningful? I've, I've been looking at some of the conversation that's been happening in Inside Higher Education and the Chronicle, the pros and cons, people saying, oh, it's, it's the end of instruction and all tests need to be written by hand now and in the classroom. And, and then the others that say, no, this is, this is the future. Like we can harness this and just expect that this technology is going to be part of every conversation in the classroom. Somebody's going to be sitting there and looking up what it is that you're referring to and getting a, a critique from so-and-so and adding that to the conversation. It's probably somewhere in the middle of the, it's going to change the world completely and it's going to be the downfall of humankind. And I think it's interesting to watch us experiment with it and and struggle with it. Uh, when I first introduced it at, at my college and our, our curriculum committee, just to let people know if they hadn't seen it already and what, what it could do. And I was surprised people didn't get very wound up about it. They started to see some potential. And if we're asking students to say, give me two, 200 words on community pharmacy, well, that's maybe not the most meaningful question to ask, but how can we use this for them to synthesize information, use it as a base, but then talk to them about how to enhance that response, how we want them to extend that thinking. Yeah, it can write a soap note. It can write all kinds of things, but how are we going to get them to critically analyze the product that the the AI generates? Is it correct? Is it what we need? And how do we enhance it? So this is that. this is something I struggle with in terms of like when I come down to its value. You know, I look at time. Time is the one commodity in life you can't bank. You can bank money, you can bank food, you can bank everything else, but you can't bank time. And every time that you spend doing something else is another time you're not for yourself at the end of the day. 
And why do we develop technology? Why do we push the limits of technology? It's to save time. I'll pay someone to deliver food to me through an app. I'll pay and invest in automation so I don't get caught up in using human capital labor to do that work. So inevitably for humans, we will strive to figure out what we can automate. I'm not a Luddite. We've gone through this so many times in history where we don't like technology because for some odd reason, we captivate around that struggle. And I think that struggle may be valuable for someone individually. I have no interest in climbing Mount Everest, but for some people, that struggle has some intrinsic value to them. Many of us in academia are flummoxed. It's like, what does this mean? What do our students need to know? And it's very much a tool that I don't think we can get rid of. Pandora's box was open. We can't shove it back in. We have to live with it. And to deny our students the capability of understanding of this stuff would be to diminish their capability of growth going forward. You know, we talk about lifelong learning, and this has to be part of it. So how do we prepare students to function in a constantly changing healthcare sector that is going to favor technology for different reasons? And how do we create pharmacists then that have value that can function in that space? I don't think what I train my students to do in right now is going to have a lot of meaning in 20 years. But can I prep them to understand these key concepts and things coming down the pipeline that they can maintain that value going forward? Do you need to know the top 200 drugs? Do you need to know these doses? What does it matter if you know this data when something else can do it much faster than you? And to Jeff's earlier point, I think it comes down to is our value of teaching still is helping students assess what is good. What is a good product? No matter what we've done in automation, does this make something that's good and has value? So you can create that prompt. You can transform it to create the prompt. Anyone can do that. The question is, when it gives you the result, can you look at it, assess it in such a way and say, this is a good result or this needs refining? We as educators, we as pharmacists can do that. Our students who are still in the midst of this cannot. Part of the training has to be to teach them how to do that. So students may say, why do I have to know the basics? You need to know the basics because if you do not understand the basic concepts of this, you will not be able to assess it. Yeah, so I, I think I'm, I'm more on the Luddite end of the spectrum on this. No, I am not. But I am concerned all technologies are not necessarily good for humankind. Atomic weapons, you could argue, have not been a good thing. Maybe they have. Maybe you could view them as a good thing because they've prevented wars that might have otherwise happened. I think most of us would say, no, the threat of that has been challenging climate change. I, I think most of us would agree that that's not been good for us. So I, I don't automatically accept the notion that the technology is, is, is good. I do accept the notion, though, that it's here and you can't put it back. So we do have to learn how to use it as effectively as possible. One concern that I have is the technology can be so good that it can fabricate research. And then we base decisions based on research that was completely fabricated. And there would be no way or very challenging for us and our journals, at least at this point, to determine whether the data was fabricated. The article will look terrific. It will be referenced. And it's already challenging enough for us to detect fraud like that. It'll just become more challenging. So I, so, I would, I, so I would challenge that then because the problem has been the time to do it. That do you want to invest in what would you, your payoff be? Probably the time to do it is now this. And the payoff now is much bigger. 
So when I look at that, it's like, it's that time difference. Like I can make a paper so much quicker and submit it and boost my CV resume or whatever from uh, postdoc looking to get employment and do that. Yep. There's nothing stopping me. A lot of the technological stuff you mentioned that have been bad is because who has decided what effective rules and regulations do you want to put around this stuff? And if you choose to let it run rampant, you will get rampancy. That's always been the case. I mean, like sci-fi, we love dystopian novels, and it's because we deal with rampancy. You deal with rampant AI, you deal with other things that go wrong. So why can we not be preemptive around it? I think this conversation is very valuable for that because, you know, who should be having this? Who should be leading this charge? Who should be asking these questions versus us just saying in your syllabi, don't do this, you get a zero on your assessment. Well, Tim, I, I teach a brand new elective course that has students from five different programs at four different universities with three different professions. All of those universities were hands up in the air about what are we going to do about AI? And this is a climate health elective. Again, it is elective. They've chosen to take it. There were a couple of assignments where students are creating communication posts and things like that. We just added this semester, look, if you're going to use this, then you have to acknowledge it. And you need to tell us what you told AI to do. Because we thought, well, actually teaching them how to write a better AI prompt and what made that a strong consumer-facing communication about climate change and climate health, what makes that good? If you use it, you have to acknowledge it. That's good, Tina. So as we're getting near the end of this, I'm going to make a final comment question that's going to take it from a direction probably none of you expected. But And it goes back to time. When all of our previous technologies from typewriters to computers, it was all say, this is going to save you time. And in the beginning is, oh, people had to work 40 hours a week. Well, now you can do that in 20 hours a week. So what happened to us? So now we only work 20 hours a week? No. So now you do double the work. And so I'm thinking, if I use AI to make my life faster, speeder, am I just going to fill it in trying to do more? which some have posited that that leads to higher stress or just doing so much so fast without going through the slow process. So I'm consciously making, if I do this, if I were, if I were to, to create an elective, the time that I would have spent designing that syllabus, will, will I take that time off? And here's the corollary to that is that will we need as many instructors or mm. teachers and therefore we can, basically run a school of pharmacy with five people. Yes. We don't need we don't need this many people to do all this work. And I think there's some truth to that. And that that's the threatening part, I think, to all of us. Now we'll all learn to do other things. I do believe in human ingenuity and we'll all learn new ways of doing things. So we'll cope with it, but it does feel threatening. It feels like an existential threat, particularly to people who do intellectual work because AI is now taking that intellectual work away. And maybe we'll all be working in fields where AI is not capable until the robotics get good enough, like being electricians and plumbers and people who prepare food, because right now those jobs are not threatened just yet by AI because it does take a human to manipulate things. But it'll get there. To that point, what you and Jeff are saying, though, is that this is a watershed moment for us. We have to adapt. Everyone has to adapt. What is the value of a pharmacist going forward? What is the value of what we do in healthcare? How does this change it? And how does education then have to change around that? 
if we decide that this is the best pharmacists can do and that our education models are the best at what they are, then we deserve to fail. And then we can get down to the five faculty to just automate it and deliver that and deliver a product that probably doesn't have any value as well. And I think that's my biggest call to action is that how do healthcare professionals work in this environment? How do we train to work in that environment? How do we prepare students for that environment? And then if people are scared about losing their roles and positions, my throughout would be people who do not use AI will be replaced by people who do know how to use AI at the end of the day. You want to keep riding your horse versus not adopting and buying a car? Yeah, you won't be able to travel as far. You don't want to fly? Okay. Again, our value as educators is we have to go with this flow, adapt, acknowledge, move on. Because, yeah, if we don't, we want to just keep peddling on by the end of this decade, we will be in significant amount of trouble. All right. Well, I think with that, we will all say our goodbyes. So goodbye, everybody. We'll see you on Epidose number 16 in April. All right. See ya. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, Tim. See y'all. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Pharmacy Fika. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir.